I'm reading from Luke 23 this morning as our sermon text. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there, kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breast. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, I want us to key in on a, a phrase that gets repeated three times in the story as Luke tells it of the cross. Three times Jesus is told, or it's shouted at him, save yourself. And I, I think what Luke is doing there is, is he's trying to draw a straight line. He's trying to draw a straight line from the cross to the temptation of Jesus. Maybe you remember the story at the beginning of, of Luke where, where Jesus goes out into the desert to be tempted by the evil one. And three times, uh, the Satan takes him and, and, and tells him, uh, gives him an offer. The first time, he's, 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 he's taken up to a high place and shown all the kingdoms of the world. And, and Satan says, I'll give this all to you. Just bow down and worship me. The question, the temptation there is, is asking Jesus about his ministry. How are you going to carry out the gospel? Are you going to carry it out through political power? Or all the kingdoms of the world, is that going to be the means by which you save your people? And Jesus says, no. Satan takes Jesus and, and puts him at the high point, the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, throw yourself down. After all, won't your angels protect you? The question that, Jesus, that Satan is asking Jesus is, what kind of ministry, how is your gospel going to unfold? Is it going to unfold through big, wondrous signs? And Jesus says, no. The Satan takes Jesus to a quiet place and shows him some stones. Now, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. And, in, and your, your impulse might be 40 days, that's a really long time. 40 is a, in, the, in, the, in the scripture, that just means a, a while. 
It may have been an actual 40 days, but it just means for a period of time. And you might think to yourself, man, Jesus must be really weak and must be really hungry. That is absolutely not the case. Fasting in Scripture is when you get most reliant on God, most dependent on God, and it clears your mind of all of the things and you realize what really matters. Jesus is not at his weakest when he's being tempted by the Satan. Jesus is as strong as he possibly can be. And the Satan says, take these stones and turn them to bread. Because you're hungry. The question that, Jesus, that Satan is asking Jesus is not, do you want to eat something? The question that Satan is asking the, uh, Jesus is, will the kingdom of God be achieved through personal gratification? Through meeting your own needs? Through saving yourself? And again, Jesus says, no. Three temptations at the beginning of Jesus' ministry three times at the end of Jesus' ministry where he's called to save himself. The first is from the rulers in the crowd, and they call him Messiah, which they don't quite believe. The rulers saw the cross as a means to flex their control over the people. The second isn't from the Jewish leaders. The second is from the mocking Roman guards, and they call him king, who saw the cross from a perspective of a means to keep political power. The cross was a tool to oppress an unruly people in a backwater part of the world. The third call to save yourself is from the criminal suffering next to him. And to be honest, I have a lot of pity, a lot of mercy on what the criminal says. He calls him Christ, who saw the man as a means to save his own skin. Three temptations at the beginning of his ministry. Three temptations at the end. Jesus' response each time is no. But the words that he does say is, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he's, he's not just telling God, I'm about to die. Please, please take me to heaven. That's not what he means. Here, Jesus is quoting scripture. He's quoting Psalm 31. It would have been one of those, those songs, those prayers that, that was written into the hearts and the minds of, of every young Jewish person growing up in Galilee. Except he changes it a little bit. And if you went back to Psalm 31, you would notice how Jesus changes the prayer. He adds one word. Father, Father, I, to your hands I commend my spirit. Frederick Buechner said, to sacrifice something is to make it holy by giving it away for love. Those who had plotted, schemed, arrested, beaten, mocked, scourged, and crucified Jesus thought that they had taken his life, but in the end, Jesus gave up his life not to the forces of evil, but to his Father, to God. The question today that the cross leads us to ask is, what do you expect God to do with this? What do you expect God to do with the cross? And what do you expect God to do with your life? So this year, we're going to begin our 2021 with a series that we're calling Kind of a Big Deal. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is talk about all of the kind of the really important key things that are kind of a big deal in our world right now. 
things like confidence in God, your identity, your purpose, your mission. All of those things are are focused in in the relentless love of God, a God who will never stop seeking you, a God that will never stop finding you, a God that is going to give you every means to flourish in the abundant life that God has prepared for you. And so each week we're going to talk about some things that are kind of a big deal. And today we're looking at this idea of confidence in God. Later this year, we're going to spend some time exploring the idea of re-enchantment. And to give you just like a 30-second thumbnail of what that looks like, re-enchantment is the idea that the world has been disenchanted, mostly in the West, in our kind of modern thinking, about what God actually does. And bit by bit, year by year, thought by thought, we've kind of made the, the scope of which God can act smaller and smaller and smaller. But that's not really the reality that we live into. Most of us this year have experienced God in unexpected places and unexpected ways. If you want to experience the glory of God, what I invite you to do is this afternoon walk outside and just hear the quiet and commune in the presence of a God who loves you. We're going to spend some time exploring that idea of re-enchantment and how to see the world through the eyes, the lens of faith. Because the reality is in a post-Christian world, and and most people in America are already living there, I think Abilene is on its way. So we can look at some other cities and other places and see what our future is going to be like in the next two to five years. Most of the places in this world have found no place or use for the language of God or the experience of spirituality in their everyday lives. And instead, the presence of God has been replaced by other things. The greatest threat to our collective idea, identity as a church is politics. And what I mean by that is that political engagement in America is beginning to come, become the center of our identity. Did you get frustrated this week by someone else's post about what happened on Wednesday? Did that not just bother you, but it kept you up at night? It left you scared. It left you so completely angry, you felt like you had to say something or comment or do something. What has led us to believe that the politics in America can save us? That sounds a lot like the calls from the powerful, the religious leaders, and those suffering next to us, save ourselves. Is, do we think that politics, the political realm, is becoming more and more the means by which we seek power to make a difference in the world? Are you angry about social injustice? Do you feel a burn in your heart about legislation that's been passed? Then politics is your solution. Vote in the right candidate. Appoint the right judges. Get the right law passed, and something will change. Have you noticed how devoid of faith that language is. It's because the power of politics is replacing the power of God in the language and the narrative of our faith in our country. And so what we're going to do later this year is ask the questions, how do we see what God is doing? How do we experience a re-enchanted world? Because the big question that we're asking is, What do you expect God to do with this? 
What do you expect a God with, to do with our year? Last year, uh, last week, we said there's really no difference between 2020 and 2021 except for a calendar flip. And if, if you're hoping that uh, a, a New Year's Eve is going to change your world, then you might just be sadly disappointed. I said that last week. I had no idea what was going to happen on Wednesday. What do you expect God to do with this? The product of healthy hope and faith merged is, 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 I'm sorry. What do you expect God to do with this? That question is the product of healthy hope and faith merged into the life of a disciple. And I I see that clearly in in Bobby's story, which you just saw. Uh, Bobby and I are in the same small group, the same RHG here at Highland, and, and I, I remember the experience, and he kind of referenced it. It was, it was the moment in April where oil, and he's a geologist, oil went down to negative. That means that they weren't selling oil for money. They were trying to give it away, and you can imagine that that might hurt the bottom line of, of Exxon or these other large companies. Imagine what it does to a single business proprietor, a single geologist, all, everything that he had was suddenly worth nothing. I remember Bobby asking questions like, well, maybe I can just sell my house and move in with somebody else. And then on top of that, within the next two weeks, he had suffered COVID and a gallbladder surgery and all sorts of things all at once. The question that Bobby was asking is, what is God going to do with this? Because it shapes how we understand what we expect out of this world. Jack Miles is a theologian, and he wrote, If Apollo and Dionysus are divine, then the brilliant and passionate are godlike. But if the crucified Christ is divine, then the suffering are godlike. Apollos was, you know, he was, he was a god of war, but also a god of wisdom. He was the god that had the bow, and he was beautiful, he was strong, he could run fast. Dionysus was kind of his female equivalent of, of those that are passionate and, 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 and beautiful and young and full of, of vigor. If those are who our gods are, then what we expect out of who's godlike is those that look like them. But the story of Jesus offers a different way. The story of Jesus demands for us to believe that Christ is God. And if that's the case, when you have found yourself asking the question, can I afford my mortgage? Is my health going to last? Am I going to make it through this difficult time? When you are suffering and you do not see the solution in sight, that is when you are most like God. Because it leads us to the question, that place of faith, what exactly is God going to do with this? So what do you expect God to do? What do you expect God to do with the time that you have right now? What did Jesus expect God to do with his time on the cross? I I believe that, and this isn't, Um, the answer that you probably want to hear, but I think that God has probably already answered that question for you. And the reason that I I think that's true, because God had already answered that question, Jesus had already answered that question for his disciples. Three days later, Jesus is raised from the dead, and he appears to his disciples. And I, I find it interesting that there's three times 
that he says the same thing over and over again. Three temptations at the beginning of his ministry, three temptations on the cross to save yourself, and then three times that he reminds his disciples what their purpose is and where their confidence is. In Luke 24, verses 5 through 9, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning to the tomb, they, uh, returning from the tomb, they told all of this to the leaven and to the rest. And then later Jesus appears uh, to, after the disciples, he appears to those two on the road to Emmaus. And Luke 24, 25 through 27, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets declared. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to, should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Then the third time in Luke 24, beginning in verse 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And the, the reason that I say that, that probably the truth is, is that God has already answered this question for you. What is God going to do in a time like this? What do you expect God to do? Is because the answer probably already is in scripture. It's probably a gift that God has already given you. And I know in our hearts there are times where we want to hear something new or we want to hear something different and we want a, a novel solution that we've never heard before, but the reality of God is that God has already given us what we need. Sometimes it just takes new eyes, new ears, a new perspective. What I mean by this is that the faith that God has given you the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, it is already enough. It is already enough to carry you through a difficult time. It's already enough to help us persevere through wilderness. It is already enough to share in God's goodness and abundance. The truth of the gospel is that God is coming to deliver his people from the power and sin of death through life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And this is revealed in God's word. And so what I want us to do this year, and we're gonna, this is going to be a theme that you're going to hear over and over and over. And if you get sick of it, great, because that means that we're doing our job. Your job this year, your goal this year is to look for those resurrection moments, big and small, different ways where God speaks to you from many different places about what God is doing in this world. Because what seems to me in Scripture that God is interested in is the resurrection, taking an old thing that we thought was dead and brings it new life offers you slightly different perspective that lets you see the work of God that's been happening behind the scenes for years to bring someone to faith, to bring someone to hope, to bring someone out of darkness. Resurrection moments that are big and small. And I'm really grateful to Mike, Mike Cope, who pointed me in the direction of this story, a small resurrection moment. This is Andy Kim. He's a congressman from New Jersey. And this picture was taken, I think, a little bit after midnight on Wednesday night. As you may or may not know, uh, there was a bunch of folk that came into the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and they left a bunch of trash all over the place. 
And this congressman that was still up and and with all the rest voting uh, to solve the election, I didn't really want to go down that route at all. He was still there at the Capitol building and he walked out to the rotunda and he saw what happened. This is a guy that's been elected by the people. He found a trash bag and he got on his knees and he began to clean up. It's what Fred Rogers talked about when when there is calamity and trouble and trial. Mr. Rogers said, look for the helpers. It's not always a big resurrection moment. Sometimes it's a small way that you can partner with God to do the right thing at the right time. And so this year I want you to look for those resurrection moments. And we're going to celebrate them. We're going to celebrate them as a body. We're going to celebrate them as a church. What do you expect God to do with this? What does your faith tell you that God is going to do in the world? Because there's going to be a lot of voices that are going to call you to save yourself. But we, the people of faith, we look to God. So what's God going to do with your year? What do you expect God to do with your job? What do you expect God to do with your family? And we must be asking the question, what do we expect God to do with our church? I'm hopeful and excited for what God is going to do in our midst when we trust him to resurrect us. Um, what, what's God going to do? What's God going to do with your year? Uh, what's God going to do with your afternoon? May you find hope and faith in this uncertain time. May you be filled with God's spirit and go in peace.